Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is on this beautiful planet. Uh, I'm back with another trigger-proof transmission, only this time it's more of a kind of Q&A style response uh, segment. Uh, I've really felt inspired to uh, respond uh, to a couple of really great questions from one of the participants from my most recent workshop on fawning. It was a three-hour workshop based on a discovery that I was making about how there's something um, that nobody's talking about in the world of trauma, uh, one of the least talked about, but yes, yet most insidious uh, things, uh, which is our trauma response, fight, flight, and freeze, which everybody talks about, but nobody's talking about the fawn response. This response of people-pleasing, of suppressing our truth for the sake of kind of avoiding somebody else's upset. Because as a child, to withhold our truth, to make ourselves smaller, to not be seen was a form of self-protection, which is why most of us in general really lack skills in authenticity, lack skills in being um, vulnerable, lack skills in really telling the truth. And most of us, it feels like everything's so fake and people are walking around with masks on and putting on a character and it this is all for good reason. It's based on a trauma response. And what I've observed is that fawning, this experience of withholding our truth for the sake of, um, you know, people pleasing and gaining validation or support or not being rejected actually damages our health. This is the kind of wake up call that I started seeing. Ask any body worker. My training is as a chiropractor, uh, 20 years in practice, seeing patients that are coming in with chronic problems, especially like digestive, especially autoimmune, things like thyroid, um, irritable bowel, you know, inflammatory bowel. Every single one of them had one character trait in common. They were fawners. So... I didn't have the language to describe it. I just kind of got the vibe and noticed what it is. So I gave myself permission to pursue my vision and my dream. And I went out and uh, became a facilitator and a guide for people to actually heal from the root cause of their issues, which at the time I thought was stress. And as I kept developing my own um, inner landscape, and I kept going inward to heal from my own attachment wounding, I discovered that unresolved attachment traumas is pretty much the root cause of every single relational challenge uh, that deals that we're dealing with, every single grief that's still stored in our body. It's the root cause of our reactivity in relationships. So whether you're a fighter, whether you're a runner, whether you're a freezer or hider, or whether you're a fawner, during distress in relational ruptures, relational issues, 
you will react in ways that were protective as a child, which worked. It helped you become, it helped you survive. This is why you're here. But unfortunately, those patterns, when we translate them into intimate partnerships, it's absolute effing chaos. And what what I discovered in looking at my own life, what what led me into this was really realizing that I'm in a trauma bonded situation. So all this to say, I went in a journey, I went through a journey, healed from my trauma bond, became trigger proof, learned how to expand that space between stimulus and response. And instead of reacting, learned how to shift my knee-jerk reactions to attachment distress response, which is always fighting and flighting, thanks to the wake-up call of my last relationship, which was highly toxic and abusive, where the police had to be involved. It was the wake-up call that I needed to say, you know what, what do I have to do? What distance do I have to travel? What price do I have to pay to figure out if I can have a secure relationship? What the hell is a secure relationship anyway? I've never had it modeled. Everything I've ever seen and experienced has been a version of codependency, whether I was the narcissist in the, in the journey or I was the codependent or quite frankly, like most of us, a little bit of both, I had to figure out how to break free. And so I did, sort of, still kind of like energetically, physically I broke free, but sometimes uh, when you're with somebody who they themselves don't feel quite complete. There's an entitlement, there's still anger, and there's bitterness and resentment. All of your desire to want to break free might not be matched by that side, but it doesn't matter. I'm living proof that you can actually move on and do what is what I consider the hallmark and my greatest accomplishment in in life on this planet in my 48 years. Uh, all the career uh, kind of accolades that I've ever achieved are nothing compared to me being able to say that I have a secure relationship at home. And I went from toxic trauma bond to secure relationship. And I broke free from these uh, kind of family systems cult that, that were really, we were enmeshed in from, from our culture. Uh, it wasn't even, didn't even begin with you. I had to really take ownership of that and also take ownership of the wounding that had me show up as emasculated. Uh, and that is basically now my journey in helping facilitate and guide other people. And so one of the participants in the most recent fawning workshop, the, the feedback I got was like, that was mind blowing. Uh, even three weeks into it afterwards, the participants messaged me, he goes, dude, I've stopped fawning. Everything is crazy. The stuff that you shared. Wow. So it was a lot of fun and I might do it again. Um, but if you want a, a copy of the video, uh, I think I, it will be uh, available um, uh, for the recording uh, for purchase for 25 bucks. Let me know uh, and I'll send my team uh, a link so that you can check it out because it's that good. But of course, with all great information, uh, questions arise. So one of the participants had these really great questions. So I'm going to answer them right now and uh, see if it resonates with you and package it in a way that it will help resonate with you. She basically asked, how do you not, because 
fawning comes from really caring too much about what people think of us, caring about their opinions about us more than our own, right? And so you've read, you know, you've seen books like Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, right? So we all have this desire within us to give less fucks. <laughs> we just, we, we want to give less fucks because we clearly give too many fucks. And so how do we give less fucks, but then not be self-centered? So can you see what, can you see within the question, within the question is a giving a lot of fucks about other people's opinions. So it's so, ugh, can't even get rid of this, right? So how do I uh, not give a fuck without being self-centered? The truth of the matter is when you have been living for, as a martyr, for other people's approval, for people pleasing, hiding your truth, saying yes when you mean no, so that another person can think you're good and you're nice and not selfish because that's part of the conditioning to choose yourself first is selfish, right? It's bad and society doesn't like it or the church or the religion or the family system shames you for it. Or like in my culture and this woman as well, who's also Persian, we have this concept called taruf, which is actually culturally baked fawning. It's this idea that I must give away of myself for you, to you. If you're a guest in my home, uh, that you like, let's say, oh, you like my camera, you know, here, it's yours, take it. Or um, uh, this is what taxi drivers will do. As soon as a cab driver who's Persian knows I'm Persian, he'll turn and say, no, 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 please, don't, don't, uh, please, it's, it's, on, it's on the house. Like he's working, you know, he's working. He uses the term which basically means, no, no, you don't have an obligation to pay me. It's like, dude, I just, you know, you're working. I rode your cab and then I'm supposed to say, no, 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 here, take it. And he's like, okay, okay, fine. All right, because we do not want to be perceived as the bad guy. Please maybe write this down. The greatest threat to our ego is the perception that we are bad. But there's this part in our shadow that wants to receive, that wants to have our needs met. Can you see this challenge? Can you see the conundrum? Right? So now what happens is it creates this split in the psyche where we put up this character of altruist, Oh, yes, yes, I'll do whatever. Sure, I'll come help you move. And then we have this narcissistic part to us that says, fuck that, I want to receive too. We have, a, in other words, we have a self-centered part. So the deeper that we go and we repress this part, unfortunately, the more self-centered reactively we become because we're denying a part of ourselves. So this fracture in our psyche where we pretend or we perform this performative altruism comes out as this deep kind of like narcissistic kind of tendency in the shadows until we do what's called integrating them, which is to unify with them, which is essentially what the deep work is all about. If you don't understand this or this is all new, this is totally not your fault. Traditional therapies you might have gone to talk therapies, they don't actually uh, often address this. They'll just say, hey, just, 
you know what? Quit caring about what people think and do what you want. Yeah, of course that sounds like great advice. The problem is these narratives of toxic shame of I'm bad, I'm evil, I'm self-centered if I want to receive. I'm, 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 I'm a villain or a bad guy if I make a lot of money. I'm, I'm a slut or a whore if I enjoy sex and pleasure. These parts of our psyche are hidden in our unconscious called the shadow by Carl Jung. If we don't integrate with them, if we don't look at them, if we don't get honest and real and really work to understand and bring them home called integration, then they run our lives and we put on these masks and we fawn and we people please. And then we have these outbursts of reactivity where the self-centered part comes up. And so how do you not give a fuck without being self-centered? You acknowledge that at some point, whatever you say, whatever you do, when you choose yourself, you're going to be perceived by others as being self-centered. So, and what does that going to do? What does that bring up for you? That's the real question. Picture yourself being perceived by another person as self-centered. What comes up for you? If you're honest and you're, you've done a little bit of work and you're not completely dissociated mind and body, you'll feel this pressure in your chest, maybe a tightness in your throat. You might feel your pelvic floor just kind of contract or constrict. This is the self-protective mechanism in our psyche trying to protect us from the threat of external judgment. What it's actually doing is that it's protecting us from our own internal judgment. So the way that I, with our cycle breakers, that we work through this so that over time you're able to speak your truth, you're able to say what's on your mind, you're able to ask for what you want, you're able to say no, and sometimes have other people perceive you as self-centered and you're compassionate with yourself and you're compassionate with other people. Think about that as a possibility. And that's what the work is. When you learn how to become trigger-proof, you're able to work with these energies that arise rather than just leave your body and go, oh my God, what the hell, I can't. You're able to work with it. And that can't be done for you by a therapist. It's not therapy, it's actually training. Training your system to expand your capacity for other people's displeasure. That's the work. And that, there's no talking when you're doing that. In our Cycle Breakers community, there, there's very little um, experience of you running through your story. We get a chance every on every training to write down what our story is, and then we get to work to move that energy through the body so we, we release that story from the body. And it's a skill that you are able to learn. And when you learn this, you build self-trust. Your self-worth starts to go up, your self-esteem starts to go up, and your friendships start to become more authentic because you're speaking your truth now. Tell me if that makes sense. Is this landing or resonating? Question number two, what happens when you say no and get blamed, criticized, and rejected back for it? This goes back to what I was sharing before. The question itself isn't, first of all, it's not a real question. I always challenge my cycle breakers during training. I'm like, ask a real question because what happens when you say no get and get blamed, criticized, rejected back for it? Well, what happens? Tell, you tell me what happens. 
when you say no to somebody and then they all of a sudden turn around and they say, screw you, right? Because quite frankly, why does it make sense that they freak out? How do you freak? How do you feel when somebody says no to you? Can you see that that is actually, uh, that that is actually a, um, kind of a very confronting experience. Can you see that that is really challenging for you when this comes up? And if it does, what are you going to do about it? You have no capacity. Consider the possibility that you, like billions of other people who haven't expanded that capacity, who haven't done the inner work and integrated the shadows, become trigger-proof, learned how to polarize the relationship, then this is exactly, this is, this is exactly what the work ahead is. But when you do it, your capacity for other people's reactions to your boundaries are greater and you're able to be compassionate, right? We're not taught how to be with boundaries. When my son was a little baby and he would bite his mom, his boob during, during, um, uh, during breastfeeding, we would say no. And as soon as we said no and set a boundary, he felt rejected. So consider the possibility that everybody is struggling with, with boundaries and we, you haven't yet learned how to communicate boundaries in a, uh, in a way that's responsible in a way that is um, uh, loving. And because of that, we're afraid to set boundaries. We have to walk on eggshells around other people. But when you get this right, you're able to completely shift it. Yeah. Yeah. One second. Yeah. So... The next question, how do you know if you're reading your body correctly somatically and it's not an emotion slash feeling? Well, every time you have a feeling, you're going to have a somatic experience of it. But the problem is, without the appropriate training, becoming what I call, what I call becoming trigger-proof, which is really ex like expanding your capacity to feel the emotions of grief, sadness, rejection, criticism, betrayal, um, all of these feelings, um, you're going to um, you're going to leave your body. You have this emotion arise, and you don't know what to do with that energy. So you will react because you haven't yet learned to make a safe home for the feelings themselves. This takes practice, and it's the skill of what I call emotional literacy. Most people just feel a feeling and then they react. You know, a lot of men are like this. We're like this. We don't have, we only have sadness and we have anger. There's not a lot of kind of um, training that we have in, with the embodiment training to say, hmm, that feels, I feel ashamed. Ooh, I'm embarrassed. I feel that right here. Um, I'm feeling a lot of anger and what's underneath is a feeling of inadequacy, right? It takes a lot of, you see, it takes a lot of emotional intelligence to develop that. And this is a skill that ideally your parents taught you. But the problem is it's not your fault if they haven't because they didn't have it. And, for, and that's why their relationships like ours as we inherit all of these lack of skills from them 
become a roller coaster ride of toxicity. And this is what I am so passionate about breaking the cycle with cycle breakers. How do you know if you're reading your body correctly, somatically, and it's not an emotion feeling? Through practice, through engagement, through showing up on with a community and a guide and working through them and then communicating them. And it's very messy. It's through the development of emotional literacy, which really is, add, it's a rewiring of your nervous system, bringing neurons from your prefrontal cortex to your amygdala. That's like learning how to dance. It's very similar. So it's a, it's a skill like any other. And the next questions are, how many people are actually in secure relationships or are secure people? Very few. Why? Well, because most of us didn't get our attachment needs met especially if you were in cultures like Indian and Persian and where narcissistic parenting is the norm, children don't get their needs met uh, emotionally, let alone physical violence or whatever. And we are classically, you know, you're Persian, I'm Persian, classically very insecure people. You know, most Persians that I know are insecure. And uh, most people are, quite frankly, because we didn't get our needs met. Um, I know a few people who are very secure in secure relationship. They didn't do any work. However, they got their emotional needs met. They had secure bonding, but with their, with their family. So it's uncommon. And the more people that take on becoming a cycle breaker, we can pass on security to the next generation. When we don't, the toxicity in our marriages spills onto the children who are watching it and then they get to experience it themselves. And um, so why does it feel like I had a uh, secure relationship with my dad, but when he passed away, I became more insecure and avoidant? Ah, you're talking about trauma. Trauma is a wounding, it's an injury. And like it or not, we all have some form of trauma. It means injury, and it doesn't actually mean what happened to us. Trauma is what happens inside of us. That's not process. That's not work through with a safe and empathetic witness. And we carry it with us. And it spills over into our intimate partnerships. It shows in the way that we walk, in the way that we move, in the way that we speak to ourselves, in the identity that we form. The thoughts of, I'm not never good enough. Um, I don't want to take up space. Uh, I can't say yes. I can't say no, so I have to say yes. These are all informed by these woundings and injuries. And at any point in time, we are responsible for learning how the language of our nervous system so that we can start to relate to with ourselves and our bodies differently. And so when you had a loss and a grief, your nervous system went into fight and flight. And for good reason, that's some scary stuff. So your work now becomes to slowly learn how to work that 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 grief through your system and people always ask me when am i done my trauma healing and the answer is never it's actually we don't finish it's not a finish line we are here to learn the skills it's a skill of what i call becoming trigger proof so that we learn how to work with our triggers when they arise so that we're not reacting from our child and adolescent selves but from a functional adult self we earn being secure. You were born to be secure, but you were conditioned to be insecure, unworthy, um, in scarcity. And so 
to have an amazing experience of this life, my task is to work through those woundings, heal from my trauma bonds, break free from the cycles from my parents and become trigger proof so that I can now become a secure, safe home within myself, trust myself fully, expand my magnetism. My attractiveness and magnetism are all interwoven. My relationship to abundance, my relationship to my sexuality, it's all, and my health and well being, it's all intertwined. So, my invitation for you is to really master those skills of becoming trigger proof, finding the right guide and community, and to work through it and to, uh, you know, expand that space between stimulus and response. And when you do, you break the cycle that didn't start with you, but it can end with you. So uh, hopefully that was uh, of use to you. Type in the chat, the comments, uh, what your biggest takeaway is. Um, I'm just noticing there's several people already um, just already on this, on this call. Um, the overview experience is coming up within the next couple of weeks. I'm gonna put the link in the comments section. This is for people, I hope for my community, the cycle breakers, and I open up 10 spots for people who are really looking to learn. What does that actually mean to become trigger-proof? Uh, how do I know what my nervous system is saying? How do I read my nervous system? How do I read the nervous system of my partner? How do I take that space and expand it between stimulus and response? How do I trust myself? What the fuck is self-love anyway? What's self-trust anyway? And how, most importantly, the most important skill to learn in 2024, how to take conflict and turn it into deeper intimacy rather than break down where you're walking on eggshells and you're just tense around one another. Luckily, that can all end and it's uh, transforming your health and so that the children can be in a safe container and be raised without these patterns and creating secure relationships themselves, not codependent. See you at the next perfect time. Tell me what arose and send me your backstory if you're curious, uh, if, if you're... Curious to find out more.